Jenny, we're good. Yeah, Jake, she's coming. You're good? Yep. Good. I've got sound, so if you need a minute on video, we're good. Hi everyone, welcome to the Jake Sasseville Show. This season we're back with all new shows. I turned 32 this year and I wanted to explore relating and relationships for this first season back. Like many folks, by the time you get to your early 30s, you've had a lot of relationships, friendships, business partnerships. For me, many have ended, some have endured, some are still smoldering, others are rising from the ashes. Every guest this season, every show relates back to our relationships with each other and the things in our lives that matter most. My intention is that together, we can reflect and grow. We changed it up. No more Skype interviews. Every show was in person in our studios in London and New York City. More intimate, more personal, funnier, edgier. Amy Hall is perhaps not a name that you know, but her work in fashion is something you do. She's a Chinese-American innovator who during her 20s moonlighted professionally in many jobs and even a marriage before aligning her values with her ability to earn along with her purpose. She is the head of social consciousness for Eileen Fisher. She has worked with Eileen, a clothing brand known for its simplicity in design since 1993 and quite unintentionally, simple, sweet and former fundraiser Amy Hall has pioneered and overhauled an entire industry focusing fashion and its entrepreneurs on the effects that it has on human rights. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're fine. That's okay. Blow your nose. Enjoy yourself. Make yourself at home. Amy Hall. Can you come a little closer just for the camera? You don't fight, right? (laughs) I promise I don't. I do other things, but biting's not one of them, Amy Hall. (laughs) I met Amy Hall in New York City, and I quite enjoyed the time, actually, we spent together. I found her charming and informative and deeply kind and equally concerned with CEOs and industries that affect human rights and the environment having their own ahas, like her boss, Eileen Fisher, did while on a factory visit trip in China. Amy Hall is the guest. I became very interested in having you as a guest because first of all, anybody who sustains in anything for 20, 25 years, it's like amazing. It is. Don't you think? I do. It wasn't my plan. Was it not? What was your plan 25 years ago? 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. I was miserable. I was in a, it was in the wrong profession. How old were you? Ish, 20s, in your 20s. I was, no, I was, I just, I was over 30. Oh, okay. Yeah, but thank you for saying that. You look good, Amy Hall. (laughs) I turned 56 this year. Congratulations, wow. Thank you. So I was, I had already had a bad career for the first 10 years of my working life. In what industry? I was a fundraiser in the nonprofit industry. Really? Yeah. and That's I'm, a schlep. It's a schlep and I'm an introvert and asking people for money wasn't a good fit for me. Yeah. And I was really stressed out and I could feel it all through my shoulders and my neck and my head and I was going for tests, like, you know, MRIs and things. This is back before I understood the mind-body connection. Yeah. And it's funny, we were just totally off topic, but apropos yeah. of what you just said, <clears throat> Amy, the producer, and I were just talking about how women are able to feel everything in their body. But we go to, we're more familiar with the pain than the pleasure part of like what feels good or when we feel okay, because we carry so much pain in our We do. So you could feel you it. You think men do that too? I think they do. We're able okay. to ignore it more easily. Oh. I love how they're pondering about the male experience <laughs> when you have a specimen. 
despite the clothing, there is a specimen of a man here. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, I think we're able to ignore it more, though. Okay. Women, it's harder to ignore. Were you able to ignore it? How many years were you fundraising no, in was, the nonprofit? I did it for nine years. Did you really? Yeah. So I, that's what you did when you got out of college. Yeah. So here's Amy Hall growing up in. The Northeast in the, general. Oh, Connecticut really? Connecticut and Pennsylvania. Okay, so two. Maine. So I grew up in Maine. Yes. And so then you decide to go to college. Yes. For? I majored in Chinese language. Did you? Which is, you know, at the time, I didn't really think about what I was going to do with it. Do so you speak it fluently? Well, I did then. Was that so more much. to honor your parents and the heritage yes. more than anything else? Yeah, I love languages. And that was mm. language I hadn't discovered yet. Nobody in my family spoke Chinese. My, my father, who was Chinese, didn't speak Chinese. And so I think I just wanted uh, to find a way to connect with my heritage. Huh. So, and that's um, what you graduated with? I did. And then you ended up in the fund for, for a Chinese nonprofit? I started in a Chinese nonprofit in New York City. Really? A Chinese multi-social service agency. And I was the only native English speaker on the staff. And so they started asking me to help with their fundraising grants, you know, writing and mm. editing stuff. And then after a couple of years of doing that, I realized actually those were the skills I had acquired. So the next time I looked for a job, mm. I looked for fundraising jobs. So it was, Interesting. you know, I was writing a lot. It was a lot of writing. And then I was also doing special events. Were you masking as an extrovert at the time? Like, were you no, able? No, You were truly, you were. Do you know, I interviewed for a job at the time and the woman, it was a study abroad organization. And I'll never forget, this goes, this is like almost, well, no, it wouldn't have been 40 years ago, but 35 years ago. And I'll never forget the woman declined me because she said I was too quiet. She couldn't see me, she couldn't picture me on the telephone because I'd have to deal with international students. And I remember, you know, I have to do something about that. That's huh. not good. That was really painful. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's changed a lot since Wow. Then. So here you are. So you're fundraising, you're in this world, and you can feel it in your body that it's not what you're, what, what, would you say that it wasn't what you were called to do? Were you just generally unhappy? I knew that I was called to do something to be of service. I'm using air quotes because... Okay. Was that not a popular thing 25 years ago, to be of service? No, it wasn't that it wasn't popular. I just didn't know how to manifest it. Uh -huh. You know, the job that I do now didn't exist back then, so it yeah. wasn't something I could aspire to. So all I could think of was I could be a teacher, I could be a social worker, I could be a nurse, or I could work in the nonprofit industry with, you know, mm. not make very much money, but do something for the better, for the greater cause. Mm. What was happening was in the fundraising, I had to make a lot of presentations to boards of directors. And because I was so shy, I had a lot of trouble with that. So that just stressed me out inherently. So there was just a lot. Plus, I had to learn to speak to very wealthy people. That stressed me As out. As you do, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, it just built up and up. And I didn't take no very well. So, you know, being a fundraiser, you have to be able to take no. A lot. And that stressed me out. Yeah. So that's where all the, you know, the, <clears throat> the neck and head wow. pain came from. And you were living in the city at the time? I was living in the city. Wow. I also was. Married or no? Well, yeah, I okay. got married and I got divorced. In, in your 20s? And I got a master's degree in teaching, which is also hard Look to do you. as an introvert. Wow. <laughs> all at the so same these time? Are all things that I tried and sort of failed at. All within a 10 year period? Yes. Yeah, so it was a 10-year period of discovery. Was it really a failure? It wasn't a failure? Was it a well, failure? Well, I discovered that I wasn't meant to be a teacher because you have to pretty much be on in front of, you know, 20-some-odd people. Kids. For a long time. Kids or, or adults. whatever it was, yeah. yeah. So, so that was hard. Ah, uh, wow. Um, and my first husband was Chinese, and that's when I discovered how not Chinese I am, even though I have a Chinese father. <laughs> I was born here, and so that didn't work out so well. So, you know, trial and error. Did you get married again? Yes. Yeah, and yes. are you guys still together? Yes. 
Wow, and not Chinese. Not Chinese. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> under the good old, good old American. Puritanical, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so nine years into the fundraising thing, did you did you meet Eileen Fisher? Was that something? No, I had never heard of Eileen Fisher. Uh, so what happened was when I realized I needed to change jobs, change careers, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. I hadn't planned for anything else. And so I started to think, well, what is it that I love to do? Mm. And when I was little, I used to make all my clothes. I actually, from starting Out of necessity in, or just because you enjoyed cause, it? Because I loved it. When starting in fourth grade, I marched home one day and made my mother sit me down at the sewing machine because I, somebody in my class had made her outfit. And I said, I want to do that too. So she sat me down and taught me how to sew. And from that point forward, I made all my clothes all the way through high school. And when I landed in Eileen Fisher, I didn't go in order to start a human rights program or anything. I actually started there as an administrative assistant. Oh. And it was really literally, I took the job just to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I thought, I'll do this for two years. I can do this. I don't have to take the job home with me. It's not a fundraising job. It's not an event planner. It was a really small company back then. And the um, opportunities, you know, people needed whatever people needed you had to jump and yeah. do it right yeah. and it was a lot of fun the first week mm. my first week on the job i started at the beginning of december 1993 i'll never forget somebody asked me to go buy poinsettias for the office this is in oh, westchester Christmas. county yeah. i didn't find live in <laughs> westchester i didn't know how to get around i didn't have a car and so i had to borrow a car and somebody had to draw on a map where the local grocery store was wow. and i went and bought all these poinsettias and i brought them in and i thought hmm definitely a two-year job yeah right yeah. I can't do this for the rest there's of my life there's a threshold <laughs> there's a ceiling here but yeah. then I just kept helping out with different things and after four years one of the things that I had been doing which was I had started to devise a process to give away money and give away merchandise oh. um, which was basically flipping my fundraising background on its head, on yeah. its head. Mm -hmm. so I was given my first kind of title which was community relations manager Back then in the 90s, in the early 90s, what did the, the brand of Eileen Fisher stand for? What would you say was hmm. the connector there? Well, back and how has the, it evolved? Yeah, back at, the, at that time, I would say it hasn't changed a lot. It was always known as a brand for women who uh, weren't trend followers, who wanted really simple, comfortable clothing that could move with them from morning to night, that was very forgiving in terms of of you know their body type so mm -hmm. it really fit any any type of woman you know on the negative side we did have an unfortunate reputation of being suitable for larger women you know because it was kind of seen as shapeless clothing and oh. every, and when i so you had asked me if i've you know had gotten remarried and i and i have and the first time i met my soon to be husband's family was at one of his family functions it was at a wedding and I, he introduced me to various people and when he introduced me to his cousin his older cousin she said oh you work for Eileen Fisher isn't that the clothing you could sleep in oh wow and I remember being really horrified at that and then I ended up marrying him anyway um, <laughs> so you know we've I think we've uh, overcome that reputation but wow. that was an unfortunate reality for us back then this idea of corporate social responsibility was in its infancy in the 90s I don't even know if it really right existed and certainly if it existed it existed as an afterthought yes did you feel like a lone wolf when you started out in this area when I first got this title of community relations manager, I thought, that's something I can do. I know how to do this. I can support our communities. I can give money away. In the same year, I was then asked to 
start to work on a human rights program for the company because we were starting to recognize. In what year? 1997. Remarkable. So we were starting to recognize that we had not paid any attention to the people who, in our supply chain, the very people who make the clothing, mm -hmm. who made it possible for us to even have a company. Mm. That's when I started to, I realized, that's when I realized that there weren't that many people who were doing this work. So I joined. How did you realize that? Well, when I looked around and I looked for people with my title, right? Okay. So at I, different companies, like at peers. At different companies, yeah. yes, peers and other companies. and. To your point, most of the people who were in sort of a corporate responsibility job were actually giving money away. They were doing the philanthropy. Mm -hmm. So I joined an organization called Business for Social Responsibility, which is a very large and well-esteemed um, organization today. It was very new back then. Mm -hmm. And I started to look for people like me. And I found a handful. There was um, Levi's and The Gap and um, Polo and Donna Karen, uh, Nike. They all had people who were already starting um, human rights programs. Mm. So I just was, you know, I'd meet them and I'd listen to them and I'd learn from them and I'd take all this learning back and I'd say, what could that work look like at our company? What's the Eileen Fisher version of that, of human rights work? Did you feel that there was an alignment between, and I'm not interested in like backbiting on other companies, but did you feel that there was an alignment between those people and the values that they were sharing and how the company actually acted? Or was there still a disconnect? <laughs> well, I would never, first of all, um, I could get myself in big trouble. No, no, there. let's try not to do that no, today. Uh, be, to be honest, all of the companies I named have truly pioneered this work in their own ways. You believe right? that? I actually do believe yeah. that. That said, we can hold two things as true. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, was there still a disconnect between what it is they were saying and what it is they were doing? In, I would say if if we were to really, you know, um, you know, look under the covers, there might be places where we would say, oh, you're not going deep enough, or, you know, maybe you've missed something over here. It was evident to me, and I'm not going to name companies in this statement, but in some cases, the person who held the human rights role would be reporting into the general counsel. So to me, that was oh, about wow. like covering your ass kind of work, right? That's My interesting. Role always lived on the culture side of the company, so it was a very different perspective. Do you feel that there's an alignment at Eileen Fisher? Is there a genuine alignment? There's absolute alignment. And at how Eileen has it, what, since when? Since you started with this, or did hmm. you have to? Did you have to get yourselves back on track? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, I would say that we've always done everything we believed we needed to be doing at the time that we were doing it. What has happened is we've learned more over the years, and we've been like, oh my gosh. Now we, you know, now we understand even more about the reality of, mm. you know, the situation in the factories, the situation in the world, or whatever the the planet, the you know, the sustainability issues. So we have evolved as much as as our commitment has evolved over the years. Interesting. Yeah. What would you say was a watershed moment in that evolution? <sighs> was there a moment? Did there you visit a factory and you were like, holy shit? Oh my gosh! Well, there's so many of those. Yeah. Unfortunately. Holy shit moments. Yes. Yeah. But. What was really so? I I could I could just I could answer your question in two ways. Sure. One is there was a watershed moment for me, but there was also a watershed moment for Eileen, oh. the the head of the company. And in a way, I feel like the watershed moment for Eileen is the most important one because okay. that's what really suddenly accelerated the work that we Take had me been there. working. Where, when was it? So this was in 
it was just five years ago, 2012. Okay. So prior to 2012, we had been slowly and and very um, consistently doing more and more work over the years around the human rights, the human condition in our factories, and the environmental condition of the way our clothing was made and the fiber was produced. It was very incremental, right? And it was sl- it was a very kind of slow incline. Mm. In in 2012, Eileen took her very first supply chain trip overseas, and um, where to China, which is where the majority of our clothes are made. Did you go? I wasn't on that trip, which is even better, because it's better when these discoveries happen and I'm not involved. Really, it is because. It feels more genuine to me. Mm. It's like I'm not there to kind of pull on the coat strings. Mm. So um, she, during that trip, learned about the plight of the global water crisis. Now, Mm. she could have learned that anywhere, but she learned it while visiting the silk supply chain that includes Mulberry Tree Farm, where the silkworms are raised, and the dye house where the silk is dyed, and the factory where the silk is turned into clothing. And when you think about water um, and the, um, the impact it has on the farmer's ability to maintain his crops, his silk farm crops, and if China and many places around the world were, were already at that time feeling like they didn't have enough water to support the, the mm. um, production they needed, that's a huge business crisis. Mm. So she heard about the global water crisis and saw a map put out by the World Resources Institute that shows the water stress of the world. And there's a lot of red already on that map. Today, in this day and age, where we are right now, a lot of the world is already, in every continent except for Antarctica, already doesn't have enough water. So that's a big business crisis. It's not just a humanitarian issue. So Eileen recognized that this has implications for, for how we should be running our business. If we don't even have enough water today, to run our business the way we always have, what does that mean for the next 10, 20, 30 years? Future generations. So she came back and said, now I get it. I understand Mm. why we're concerned about the planet. I understand why we're concerned about the people. Let's pick up the pace. We need to go deeper and we need to go faster. And since then, that slow incline shifted and started going in a much higher, steeper incline. There is a level of consciousness that when you get to a certain level of consciousness and awareness, and I guess that that's what the trip did for her, it allows breakthroughs like this to occur. When Eileen said we need to do more and the curve, kind of the bell curve, whatever it is, kind of went steep, how has that, from a corporate perspective, how has that manifested? How did her awareness translate into the company acting differently? So what happened was she came and she said, Amy, um, <laughs> you know, what can you do differently? Amy, like darling. Exactly. So, Let's go. You know, I could take it one of two ways. I could. So wait, though. She comes to you. She knocks on the door. She comes in the office in Westchester and she says, hey, this is what I have had an awareness on. Can we switch the plants that we're operating well, in? Or I mean, can we- in effect, it was like that. It um, wasn't in so many words. But, you know, that. so what do you do? And already at that point, I'd been working on this for 15 years or so. Wow. And that, so I could feel really disappointed in myself, right, and my team. Or I could look at this as an celebrate. opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I think you could celebrate it. So that's what I was like, thankfully, you can't force it. finally. You can't force an individual's transformation. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. So it happened at that moment. And wow. I had 
had to be grateful. And, yeah. you know, this is what I'd wanted to happen for a very long time. Yeah. And so um, oh, really? she wow. asked me to partner with a senior leader in the company, which was a new kind of partnership for me. And the senior leader has become a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Candace, if she's listening. Mm. And the two of us, now that Candace had very strong connections to the creative side of the company, the design team, the cool. communications teams, et cetera. So the two of us partnering together really um, created new opportunities and new relationships that hadn't existed before. And mm. what happened was we brought in a consultant. Her name is Sarah from hey, Sarah. Seed System. A lot of shout outs exactly. from Amy Hall today. <laughs> um, and she still works with us today. And cool. she is all about systems thinking. And she said, what's the system of the clothing that we need to bring together? And so rather than having oh, like my that. team try yeah. to kind of like educate everybody or bring everybody on board, it was like, let's get the right people in the room together who can then own these this vision that. together. So we had a um, leader in our design team. We had leaders in merchandising, manufacturing, sourcing, Eileen's team, my team. I'm sure there are others that I'm leaving out. We all went, got together and we created our vision together and we held hands around it and we have held hands around it together since then we've we continue to meet even today on a regular basis to say how are we doing and so what this did was now our design team was on a path and they said okay we know what we have to do we're going to create all these subgroups we've got a you know task force on cotton a task force on wool a task force on viscose you know whatever we have to do We'll make it happen, and our manufacturing team similarly. You know, working on um, on efficiencies and working on costing and things that that impact mm. human beings in our supply chain. Could I spend a couple minutes talking about something else that we're working on right now? Do whatever you want to do. Are we still recording? Do we have time. We oh are. yeah. So, yeah and we have time. time. Yeah. We'll what time it. is it? It is um, ten o five. Okay. I just think because of your audience, yeah. there, there's something that we're working on that might appeal to your your particular audience. What is it? So, you know, we have a whole initiative devoted to what we're calling circular product. So since 2009, we've been collecting old Eileen Fisher clothes, clothes that people okay. had loved oh. and worn and then they don't want anymore for whatever reason. We take it back through our stores and we... If it's in perfect condition, we resell it mm. at a significantly lower price, which mm. is really good for the younger people who may not be able to afford our, our rather high price point. Yeah. If it's not in great shape, we cut it up and we make really cool stuff out of it. That you sell as well? We, or that you and we're beginning to sell it. It took us a while to have enough to start selling because yeah. this is all sort of a pilot program. But we, um, we piece it together. We make um, kind of cool you know, new tops or skirts or, you know, other kinds, other outfits, other other items. And we take the really unusable pieces, just like patches of pieces, and we felt them all together. And we're making these extraordinarily beautiful coats and pillows and um, sort what of upholstery cool fabric. Way. And we're going to be, you know, we're featuring this here and there in little pop-up stores. And um, at some point, I think it's going to be the first half of 2018, we're going to open our store in Brooklyn, which is going to feature just a this? lot of this. I don't think it's just this, but it's going to have oh. a, a, like one of the few places where you can actually buy this, these items. So, you know, we're really interested in appealing to 
a younger audience because mm. we feel like the values that we believe in are it's so aligned true Amy for, Hall. Yeah. it's true would you say that you from from a professional standpoint are you a fulfilled person are you a fulfilled individual i'm very fulfilled you seem to be I very fulfilled that's why i've stayed with this company for 24 years yeah. I, it's been an amazing journey who could have imagined I feel like I have, so this is the irony. Yeah. I feel like I can have more impact on the world, on the planet than I did when I was working in the nonprofit world. I would have originally thought that to have impact and to be kind of be of service, I would have had to sort of sacrifice a little bit of myself and do the nonprofit thing. But I feel like I really have much more influence mm. now. And um, that's very fulfilling. I think a lot of people are gonna be inspired by you, Amy Hall. I do Thank because you. You, I, you're welcome, I do because I think that so many of us going through our 20s, maybe early 30s, we know that there's something deep inside. Mm -hmm. We have a calling. Wayne Dyer says, don't let yourself die with the music <laughs> still inside. You can look back 24 years mm. and say, huh, maybe I was a little bit of a pioneer. Mm. And we all can learn a little bit from following what's in our hearts and knowing that there's something, maybe a little more that we need to push forward toward. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right, everybody, that's the show. Amy Hall, head of Eileen Fisher's Social Consciousness Department. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for listening to the show, y'all. If you liked it, leave a rating and review. More important than that, share it with a friend that you think it would touch. I'm at Jake Sasseville on all the socials. This episode was produced by Jake Sasseville, me. Amy Loader for Profoundly Human Labs. Assisted by Julia Schwintor, director of photography on the video, Temi Tikosi. Post-production handled by Christopher Matram at the Matram Media Group in Perth, Australia. JakeSassaville.com for more info. YouTube keyword Jake Sassaville for behind-the-scenes video content from our time in London and New York City. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.